Thank you so much. Please find in your Bibles, we're in 2 John chapter 2, going to be reading verses 18 through 27. 2 John chapter 2 and verse 18 as we make our way through the letters of 1 John and uh, Living with the Shirts, kind of our theme this month, maybe first couple of weeks in February as well. I will tell you today, if uh, prophecy preaching is your thing, you love prophecy and you love the end times, today is your day. If your mouth waters every time somebody talks about prophecy, because John's going to talk about prophecy a little bit today. Now, if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're what we sometimes refer to as a pan-millennialist, everything's going to pan out at the end, so you're not worried about it. You're not even sure that you want to talk about it. Well, we're going to make lots of applications for you today, so we're glad that you're here. If you're kind of like me, you're somewhere in the middle and you want to pay attention to God's Word as much as it pays attention to God's Word. And this is one of those times. If you're visiting here with us today or you're watching, and we appreciate those who are watching online. We've got some in our overflow room as well. We're glad that you're here. But you're watching today and maybe you're not a member of Parkway or maybe you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, but somehow you're sitting with someone who is or by yourself you've tuned in today or you're here today in our midst. We're glad that you've come. We don't always talk about prophecy, but today is one of those days. And as we do, it is our prayer that even the things that we talk about today will cause you to want to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord and for all of us to be able to lean on Him even more. But we are in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 and follow. We'll read 18 through 27. Let me encourage you. In fact, if you've not got out your smartphone already, I want to encourage you to do this because I want you to be able to see it with your own eyes or have your Bibles there in front of you so that you might be able to follow along and keep your Bibles open. We're going to borrow from a couple other places in 1 John and 2 John as well. 1 John chapter 18 reads like this, Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. The son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the man of, son, of sin, the beast. These are all words to describe what John may be referring to here as he talks about the Antichrist and the one that he refers to. One reason that we teach and preach all of God's word that we know is relevant for us today and it is all because the Lord knows that we need all of God's word, even that that talks about the end times and that which we can make application for today. 
Do you know that uh, it may be since March of 2020, more people have asked, are we living in the end times? Is the end coming uh, since this, in these past 10 or 11 months? And so maybe it's more than likely that the Lord maybe has led us to this passage for this very time so that we might be able to understand what God's Word has to say to us. As we're going to talk a little bit about prophecy, a little bit about the last days. But here are some ground rules for us today as we talk about this. We're not just seeking to find biblical knowledge. We don't want to learn facts. We do want you to know about the Bible. We do want you to know all that the Bible says. But we want to be sure that we make application for us today. In fact, what difference does it make right now? Part of the ground rules is, is that I'm certainly not a prophecy preacher and expert in this case. But I will be glad to tell you what God's Word says. And together we're going to be able to seek if we can understand and be able to make application for our life. But I feel like I've got a lot to share with you just in these few minutes that we have here today. So do me a favor. Buckle your seatbelt. Please put your chair and your tray in the upright position. Observe the no smoking sign because we're about to take off. So let's begin to talk about who or what is the Antichrist. In fact, the only time, you've heard the word Antichrist before, well, the only time that the word Antichrist or Antichrist, uh, plural, is used is here in the letters of 1st and 2nd John. And so it may be that John coined the words. And so first of all, he, he defines it in two or three ways. The first one of those that we're going to talk about is that it's the spirit of error in the world which opposes or denies Christ. It's the spirit of error that opposes or denies Christ. First John chapter four and verse three says this, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Thank you, John, for helping us to understand. It's not just a person or persons, but it is a principle out there. Anti meaning against or instead of, in a very general way, it refers to all evil that is in the world. But in particular, it refers to that which denies Jesus and also seeks to place, take the place of Jesus. It's that which replaces truth with a lie. How easy is it to replace truth with a lie? In other words, how easy it to believe that lie is really truth? Well, it's probably not all that hard today, particularly if you continue to repeat something, suddenly you believe that it's true. And at least in your world, you think that it's true, but when we know truth is not relative, truth is truth. Let's just, for example, and maybe even some application here today, uh, think with me for a moment how many times our young people hear the message or the lie that sexual relations outside of marriage is okay. Do you think they ever hear it on television? My goodness, time and time again. Do they ever hear it when they're at the movies? How about in the music? How about on the internet or how about even commercials? If you hear the same message enough, people begin to think that it's truth when we know it is not. But I do, people are searching for truth. I mean, even outside the church, people are searching for truth. You know, what's this world all about? What am I about? Maybe more so even this year with the worldwide things that have been happening. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen in my future? You know, what, what difference does it make? Or what purpose and plan should there be for me? And I want you to think sometimes, maybe what we talk about sometimes, just kind of step back and listen to Christian conversations or church meetings and some of those things. And we talk about maybe sometimes, well, should a Christian dance or should they drink? We want to know, should, uh, you know, should believers, should, when it comes to baptism, do you dip, sprinkle, or spew or something like that? Or we wonder what kind of casserole dish or what size casserole dish should I take to the next church fellowship? We spend times in meetings, discussion, 
discussing, should we have Christian Zumba? Is Zumba still a thing? Or we're wondering about, you know, seven steps to prosperity in the Christian life. When people are looking for real answers and real truth. And we want to be sure that we are, because if we're not sharing with them truth, if we're not sharing them God's plan and God's purpose, well, they're going to look for something somewhere and they're going to replace the truth with a lie. Well, what is truth? I shared with you 1 John 4, 3. You could probably take a look at that passage again. If you look at 1 John chapter 4, 2, John defines for us very clearly what truth is. 1 John 4, 4, verse 2 says, What is truth? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So there is a spirit of Antichrist that's always been around. It's been around even before Jesus came to earth. There was a spirit of anti-truth and anti-God. It was active in John's day. It's active in our day and it will continue to be. The anti-truth is repeated and we have to figure out a way to be sure that the truth is constantly before us and before the world or people will believe the lie. Are we being practical yet? We're defining here what is John means by the Antichrist. And we understand part of that is a, a spirit that denies Christ. Also, he defines it as the false teachers who point people away from Christ. False teachers who point people away from Christ. Now, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 says this, Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it's the last hour. 1 John 2, John's concerned with the false teachers, plural, not just one, but many. Do you find it interesting that John would write that he was living in the last days? I mean, or the last hour, my goodness, 2,000 years ago, John lived. How could, how could he be living in the last hour? When I was a kid, we used to have a week-long, sometimes even two-week-long revivals some of you with gray hair remember some of those. And we'd have those two-week-long revivals. And always on a Friday or Saturday night, the guest evangelist would always preach. And if it was a stormy night, it'd even be better. He'd preach a sermon. The title of it would be Five Minutes to Midnight. Or We're Living in the Last Days or The Countdown to Armageddon or something like that. And listen, listening to these preachers that would preach that little hellfire and brimstone, man, that'd scare me to death as a kid. And and uh, said that we were living in the last days. And, and he'd always point out things that were happening in the news to show that th this was a fulfillment of prophecy and Jesus was about to come back certainly at any time. And that was long before we really got into war with Iraq and Afghanistan and things happening in the Middle East. And boy, that was uh, happening in my lifetime, which seems now like a long time ago and still much has changed. For us to talk about the Antichrist, we must mention biblical Prophecy, And those of you that love it all, oh, this is where you come in. You're going to enjoy this maybe. But just about every generation has identified someone that they have thought was the Antichrist. Some had identified the Antichrist as Nero, the Roman emperor that was living in the first century. Even Roman citizens thought that he had gone mad and was evil. Many Christians were executed. It was under Nero that Christians were fed to the lions, fought in the arenas. They were set up as human torches and flames to light Nero's garden. He was called Bloody Nero. Even the Romans called him a bloody monster. Hitler was thought to be the Antichrist. In his diaries, he wrote that he made a pact with the devil, literally sold his soul and sought to rid the world of all Jewish people. Napoleon was called the Antichrist. Even Mussolini was called an Antichrist. And 
had something to do with some secret code in his name that I'm not too sure about. But even in the 1990s and the early part of this century, if you walked into a bookstore or a Christian bookstore, back when you used to walk into Christian bookstores, you walked over to the prophecy section and there they had in those sections they named often the Antichrist as Saddam Hussein. All these certainly could be classified as Antichrist against the way of Jesus. In fact, I would venture to say there's probably some religious group out there that uh, probably has identified every president probably in some form or fashion as an anti-Christ because they disagree with them on their policies. But there's still a more dangerous group of people out there today even than these. And these are false teachers John was talking about for them and for us who used deceit and trickery to take people away from Jesus in, and the truth. Now this was what John was referring to because there were false teachers in the church while he was writing their false teachers today. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking about how we might be able to identify some of those for us today. So the Antichrist is, is defined as a spirit of error denying Christ. It's defined as the false teachers who point people away from Christ. But also, it's a person, biblically, it's a person who will lead in a final rebellion against Christ. Now, those whom John wrote this letter to must have been familiar with the prophecy of the Antichrist. Look at verse 18, again, the very first part of that verse, 1 John 2. He writes to him, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So even they were aware that the Antichrist are aware that it was coming. So the Bible talks about one person before the final battle that many will rally around and follow. And it seems he will have many answers to many of the world's problems. He will perform many types of feats that cannot be explained. He, he'll actually lead the world into a time of seemingly peace, but then there will finally lead to destruction for all those who follow him. Now, anti means against or instead of. So he will set himself up as some kind of savior, if not the savior. Some use the scripture to say that he will be Jewish, the Antichrist. Others believe that he'll be a Roman or a Gentile leader, but he will seemingly protect the Jewish people for a time and uh, claim to be the true Messiah or Jesus himself. Now again, we could spend a lot of time and there are volumes that are written week long and more conferences about prophecy and we're here spending just a few moments. But it does remind me of a couple of church ladies that uh, went to a prophecy conference and they went for the weekend to a prophecy conference and there the one who was leading that used the biblical word Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. In fact, he recommended all the people at the conference. He said, you should greet one another with the words Maranatha, Maranatha brother, Maranatha sister to remind everybody that the Lord is coming. And the two church ladies looked at one another and they thought, well, that, you know, we should do that. It'd be a reminder. We should do it even outside of the conference and outside of church. And if people ask us, we'll tell them it means the Lord is coming. But then they got up from the conference center where they were and sometimes, you know, you get a little bit confused and they did about the word. And so they began to out to eat in other places and everywhere they went, they said, marijuana, brother, marijuana, sister. And they got a little bit confused. Nobody ever asked them what the word meant. Some asked if they were buying or selling, but sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. But it would help for us today to tell the story. If we're going to understand about the Antichrist to come, to tell the story of Antiochus Epiphanes. Don't worry if you cannot spell it, but feel free to look it up at another time. But the Antiochus Epiphanes and the Abomination of Desolation, 168 BC, 168 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of Syria, invaded Jerusalem, killed thousands of Jews, sold tens of thousands into slavery. His purpose was to eradicate the Jews like many have had that purpose. Many leaders have had that purpose in history. He made it, he outlawed the Jewish faith, outlawed any sacrifices. Anybody that was carrying the Torah, first five books of the Bible, would be executed on sight. In the temple courts, he put up an altar to the Greek god Zeus. Other courts and other parts of the temple were turned into brothels. And then on the altar in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, called the Abomination of Desolation, he sacrificed a pig. In Daniel chapter 11, Daniel prophesied that there'd be an army that comes from the north and invade Jerusalem and would set up the abomination that causes desolation. Called that because it ruined and it discontinued worship in the temple. Now, David wrote this 400 years before it occurred, 168 years before Christ, and Christ actually references this event. And I, I tell this and because a ruler will come who will be like Antiochus Epiphanes and seek to set up an altar in Jerusalem and desecrate the temple. Daniel also prophesied that there would be another leader, who world ruler, who will look like this ruler from the south, but will be much worse. Jesus, also knowing the events of Antiochus Epiphanes in Matthew 24, said this is only a preview of what was to come. In fact, he writes, when you see this and you see it's happened again, flee for judgment is coming. Other places in the Bible talk about when the Antichrist, the beast, will come and what will take place. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is one of those chapters where it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship. So he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. He is the last world dictator who appears on the scene just before the day of the Lord or that day known as Judgment Day or what sometimes is called Armageddon. As Jesus is God incarnate, this world dictator will not be Satan in the flesh, but will be ruled by Satan. He'll solve many of the world's problems, including the problems of the Middle East temporarily. Most believe that Israel will play a part by rebuilding the temple to Solomon type glory. But the dictator will reveal his wickedness by taking over the temple and insist on being worshipped. Now in reading this, we might wonder, how will people be duped? How would they ever follow someone like this? Particularly this prophecy has been already foretold. Well, he will perform many signs and wonders. We remember Jesus came and he performed many signs and wonders. And he did that in order to point to who he is, why he came. And so that people might not just believe the signs and wonders, but the fact that he was the savior of the world. Well, there's a, he says that the Bible tells us that this one who performs these signs and wonders, they will be counterfeit. You might remember, we talked about Moses some in 2020 and about the 10 plagues. And in the story, we know that the magicians of Egypt were able to perform some of the same signs that Moses did up to a point, and then they could not. And they either did it by the power of Satan or they did it by trickery. That word counterfeit might be the word to help us to understand that they did this, but they were only tricks. But it's during this time, no one will be able to do business. No one will be able to buy goods without the mark of the beast, 666 or whatever that symbolizes that mentioned in Revelation. On a side note, I'm pretty sure today, biblically, we can understand that the vaccine is not a mark of the beast. 
it's okay for you to smile after that. But it should be no surprise that this is what Satan would want. Do you remember when Jesus was carried out into the wilderness and he was tempted those three times? All of those had to do with usurping the Lord's authority or wanting God to bow down to Satan. Even in heaven, we know that when Satan revolted, it was because he wanted to usurp God's authority. It's told more in Revelation chapter 13. Now remember, Revelation is, we refer to that, it's full of symbols. And the dragon in Revelation symbolizes Satan. The beast symbolizes the Antichrist. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and much authority, but obviously not all authority. And people worship the dragon and the beast. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says this, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now, these are future events. The coming of the beast, the battle that's going to take place, desecration of the temple. These are things that will happen after the rapture of the church. But today, let me ask you, do people still worship Satan? Sure they do. And sometimes by virtue of not worshiping God, they worship Satan. And all those whose names, according to Revelation 13, 8, all those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life, all those who are not genuine believers will worship the beast. Now, so far the news maybe that I've shared with you hadn't been great news, but there is good news. First of all, what will happen to the Antichrist? John sees a vision in Revelation chapter 19, and when he sees a vision, he sees a white horse. And on this horse, there's one who is faithful and true. He's wearing a crown of many diadems. He's wearing a robe that's been dipped in blood. He is coming and he's coming with many, with all the heavenly armies that are also all riding on white horses. And on his robe and on his thigh is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The beast and the kings of the earth be ready to make war against the one sitting on the white horse. The beast will be captured and the king will be defeated and be thrown into the lake of fire. Proving once again, greater is he who is in me, meaning Jesus, than he who is in the world, meaning Satan. Be not frightened. Be grateful for God's plan, which we do not know all the details, but we can trust him for all things. Thus we have a thumbnail sketch of what the Bible calls and what John calls the Antichrist. The spirit of error, false teachers, and the beast who is to come. We want to be practical today, so very practical, and we want to focus on what John is telling his church in 1 John 2 so that we might be able to make application for today. First of all, John seemed who coined the term Antichrist. And for the very reason that we are to be Christ-like, those who are part of the Antichrist are not like him. Instead, they are like Satan. He, John commends the ones who are standing firm. And while there will continue to be a spirit of Antichrist, that message will spread far and wide. We are to live and spread the message of truth as found in Jesus. So recognizing, you've got some notes there for you today. Three things that help you to recognize all begin with D. And the first one is this. They have departed from the church. Not everyone who's a member of the local church is necessarily a member of the body of Christ. In other words, not all are genuine believers. One mark of genuineness is a desire to be in God's house and with God's people. 
those who were the Antichrist, false teachers that John was talking, they had departed from the church and they hadn't just dropped out in the sense that they just weren't coming anymore, but now they were following and even teaching and leading in a different direction. Those who leave the church and follow and teach something else or some are marks of false teachers. Now remember the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds? Growing, they look the same, but time will tell if they are the same. Many false cults and anti-Christian movements began out of a church movement. And sometimes people, when they follow in a church, they're particularly following a human leader rather than following the one who is the head of the church, who is Jesus. Some who don't follow the church at all, maybe not a religion, but instead they follow things like riches and materialism and worldliness and teach a kind of religion based on greed. So don't think that all false teachers and all fake teachers wear long flowing robes, shaved heads, and long beards. Some of them wear pinstripe suits and skinny jeans. And sometimes the second D that we have, how can you recognize they deny the faith, John tells us. If you want to know what some of them believes, ask them what they believe about Jesus. Now look at the definition of a liar in verse 22. Who is the liar? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, there are many things we might disagree with sometimes in the church and not everything is a test of faith or fellowship. But we have key elements of faith. Bible is the word of God. Jesus is God's son. Men and women and boys and girls and young people, the only way to, to the Father is through Jesus by his grace and through faith. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. Jesus is coming again one day for his church. We may differ on other matters. Church government, modes of baptism, even how the end will come and what's going to happen when Jesus returns. But we agree on these basic doctrines. Watch out for those who take those things that are not essential and they make them essential. Or watch out for those who feel that they have some new information and they're enlightened. And if you don't agree with them, well, it may just be that you have not been enlightened, at least not as of yet. So they departed from the truth. They denied the faith. Also, they deceived believers and would-be believers. In verse 26, John writes, I write these things to you so that you will not be deceived. So who's he writing to? He's writing to church members. I don't want church members to be deceived. Often, they will spend more time trying to pull believers away from the church than going after the lost. Satan already has the lost. He wants to keep Christians from growing and from going after others. And he often goes after other believers and those who are seekers. I found this illustrated one day. One Saturday, late one Saturday morning, I'm out cutting the grass. And as I'm cutting the grass, I see folks from a cult who are coming down the street. And my first prayer was, oh, I hope they pass by me. Okay, I'm just like you. Yeah, see. I, my second prayer was because my neighbor was sitting on the porch, not doing anything as far as I could tell. And he was lost. I knew he was lost. I've talked to him before. And, and uh, my second prayer was, don't let them pluck the seed that I or others may have planted in his life. But as they came by, they skipped his house, sitting on the porch, doing nothing and came and had me stop my lawnmower. And yes, I listened to him, and I shared with him my testimony as well. After it was over, my neighbor came to me again. He said, I sure, he sure thought it was funny that he skipped him just sitting on the porch and came and talked to me, mowing my grass, me, a Baptist preacher. I thought, yeah, I thought that was real funny too. 
Although God may have been guiding them or keeping them from talking to my lost neighbor. Well, let's ask, so we continue to make this very practical. We hit these pretty fast, but what can you do to safeguard yourself and others? What can you do to safeguard yourself and others? And the first thing is this, you are guarded by the Holy Spirit. Already you're guarded by the Holy Spirit. Notice 1 John 2, 27, it says this, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. That anointing refers to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. While Christians can be led astray, we can stop growing in Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us by the Holy Spirit, we're sealed until the day of redemption. We're protected and thank the Lord that we are, that we cannot be taken away from the Lord Jesus. We cannot be snatched from his hand. But not only you're guarded by the Holy Spirit, you'll be guided by the Holy Spirit. Last part of that verse, in verse 27, it says this, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, it does not mean that we do not need teachers and preachers. We do have the Holy Spirit to teach and guide us, and we can rely on him to give discernment for the truth. Now, we've talked about the definition of truth in the last couple of weeks. Let's be sure that we divine truth as it's defined in 1 John throughout. Truth is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. It is the gospel. It is the message of the gospel. And it's everything that's found in God's word. It is the Holy Bible. And John is telling us, you don't need to be taught something new that's different from what, who Jesus is or the gospel message or what's taught in Holy Scripture. You have the truth. Now, we still need to be talking about the vastness of who God is and, and all that God's Word tells us. But number three, how you might safeguard yourself and others, be true to the gospel you know. Be true to the gospel. John writes in verse 21, he says, you know the truth. If you're a true child of God, you know the one who is truth. Place your faith in him. Listen with discernment. Is it true? Is it what you've been taught? Is it what God's word said? Listen, you need to be constantly going back to God's word and see if what you're being taught is true. Even from what the preacher says or what is said in this pulpit, you need to be go back to God's word and say, is what I'm being taught, is what I'm hearing, whether it's from the world or even from a Bible study time, is it true? You know, some of our, my best times are sometimes after the Sunday morning message or after a Wednesday night Bible study when you bring me questions about what God's word says. Oh, I love to talk about questions, even if you disagree. I mean, my goodness, you have the right to be wrong. It's okay. No, I'm just kidding. I learned a lot from you as well and some of that. So we need to continue. Or listen, understand there may be people that say that do not deny Christ outright. There's some may say that Jesus is good, but he's not God's son. There may be some that say that I believe Jesus died on the cross, that he was a martyr on the cross, but he did not die as Savior. Or they might even tell you that you too can be a son or a child of God, just like Jesus. These are false teachings. And it's not just saying that we don't believe those things, but these things that we believe need to permeate our lives and need to direct our actions and our attitudes. Which leads to the fourth, be in God's word and abide in truth. Be in God's word and abide in truth. John writes in verse 24 to these believers and to us about combating the Antichrist. Be in God's word and with the Son and with the Father. If you want to be safeguarded, 
Find yourself in God's Word. Find yourself talking to God. Find yourself with God's people. This is what I tell new believers after they come to know Christ, whether they're teenagers or college students or children or adults. It is that once they come to know Christ, this is not the end of anything. It's just the beginning. You need to find yourself often in God's Word. You need to be praying daily. Find yourself with God's people in the church that helps you to be able to grow in the faith. And then find ways in which you might be able to share what Jesus has done. And then number five, do not give entrance into your home or heart. Do not give entrance into your home or heart. Boy, I've borrowed from a lot of verses from the letters of John. Second John, there's only one chapter in Second John. Verses 10 and 11 says this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked plans. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not to be kind. It doesn't even mean that we're not to seek to win them over to the Lord. But not letting them into your home is a very practical guide as John was giving advice. Why, why would that be? Well, they were not to think that they, what they were teaching was acceptable or valid. It was the case, and John was even commending them in another part of his letters where he says, I commend you for letting visiting missionaries and teachers and preachers come into your home, and they were letting them stay and eat in their house as they would. He said, don't give this same kind of hospitality to those who are false teachers. But also he said this because they were not to let the seed of doubt and false teaching be planted, particularly in their heart, and for the Lord or for Satan to water that. And for them to be again to have doubts about what they've been taught and what they knew. But also, don't, it didn't need to be ammunition for the next place. That you let them into your home and maybe you're strong enough in the faith. You want to talk to them. Well, your neighbor may not be. And you may not need to let them into their home. Now, I'm not saying I've never because I have before. Someone comes to my house teaching, preaching something different. But I don't do it anymore because of this passage. Talk to them on the stoop. Talk to them in the yard. And... Uh, because I don't want somebody 15, 20 years from now and saying, oh, preacher Redmond, let me into his house and talk. Can I come into your house? Not a, which is scarier to you, that somebody called me old preacher Redmond or that I'll be your preacher 15 or 20 years from now. Either way, we understand it's, it's okay to, to talk on the porch and listen. And if you listen, be sure to tell your testimony. If they had, don't take any literature unless you have literature to be able to give them. And understand, we're not just talking about those who come and knock on your door because false teachers, as John says, they could be in the church. They could be in your workplace. They could be in your neighborhood. They could be in your classrooms. In fact, there are all of these places. And you want to be able to identify and be able to say, what can I do to help either win them to the Lord or not be influenced by those? And sometimes it may not even be religious. It may be just a worldliness. The Antichrist is not a side issue for it reminds us we need to know the real Christ better every day in the truth that he represents. For we are living in the last days. The last days or the last hour has been ever since Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens. After he died and rose again and ascended into the heavens, we began the last hour. And those last hour, those last days, these things will be happening until Christ is coming soon. Bible often talks about the fact that Christ is near and we're living in the last hour. And we understand that thousand years to God, thousand years like a day and a day is like a thousand years. 
And we know that Jesus is coming again. Sooner or later, he could come today and we want to be ready. But this, this study causes me to reaffirm the fact that I do believe in the rapture of the church and what we read and studied about the Antichrist, last days of judgment, mark of the beast. The Bible tells us we'll not come after the rapture of the church. And John's desire was to protect the church from the Antichrist, plural, and be ready for the imminent coming of Christ, which is not dependent on a world leader. Jesus can come at any time and he could come today. There's value to talking about the Antichrist. We're living in a period of persecution and tribulation, which reflects a foreshadowing of how it will be during the Great Tribulation. However, our focus is not to be on identifying all the symbols and all the indicators of the last days and the last hour when Jesus is coming again. But we're to be motivated only by living and looking for Jesus today. Oh, I've shared with you lots of stuff. Thank you for buckling your seatbelt, hanging in there with me. One more verse. I didn't read it early. We read through verse 27. Read verse 28 because, oh, I want to be climactic to all that we've been talking about today. In verse 28, it says this, of 1 John chapter 2. It says, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. May you be confident and unashamed today and when Christ returns. May it motivate us to live in for Jesus today and seek to take as many folks with us to Jesus as we can. And if you're here today or you're home listening today or even one of our overflow rooms and you're not sure that you'd be the one that would go with Jesus when he comes, we want you to come with us. We want you to know Jesus and you can do that today. Don't put it off. Don't wait. But today, ask Christ to forgive you for sin. Ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life. Place your faith in Him. And the Bible tells us, and we understand it to be truth, that because you called upon Him, you can be a part of the family of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day that you've made opportunity in this Lord's house to be able to bring you worship. We thank you for how you've spoken to us through your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship, lift up praise and prayers. May you continue to be the center of all that we do today, Father. We thank you that we know that the future is secure if we are believers in the Lord Jesus. So today, may we live confident and unashamed. We pray, Father, today, if there's one listening today that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, one here present today, may they not put it off, but may they call upon Jesus even today to be Savior and Lord. Thank you for the power that's found in the truth of God's Word. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand?